Because study abroad, like all industries, continues to operate within structures that are inherently racist and patriarchal, there's a perception that the MENA regions are particularly unnavigable for people identifying as non-heteronormative and non-binary. Our guest in this episode challenges that with some reflections on experiences of gender, gender performance, and community in Jordan. Hi, and welcome back to Studying Abroad in the Global South. This is Elena Korvik, and today we're actually doing our first remote recording of a podcast. And I have with me today my friend Ben, with whom I'm really happy to reconnect after quite a few years. We first met in Jordan. Ben was a student of mine when I was working there. Hi, Ben. Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome. And I know I keep saying this on the podcast, but my heart is so full and I can't thank you enough for for taking your time with us today. Um, Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And thank you so much for the generosity of you and your time and sharing your experience with us. As we were talking a little bit when we were preparing, Ben, I remember meeting you so clearly. It was an orientation the year that you were studying abroad with us in Jordan And of course, we get a whole range of student profiles. I feel like we know everything about you, almost, before you arrive on site. We knew you were coming. We knew you were going to be with us for the whole year. It was your first time abroad. You were a history major. I'm a historian. So I was already really amped up. And then I remember meeting you at orientation. And I have this very clear memory of you and we were in this big ballroom and it was in a hotel because it was this massive orientation. There were like 160 students there. I'm actually really introverted. And so those things are also really painful for me. Like it takes all of my energy in the world to get through those things. And there are so many students and, and I just happened to plop down next to you in a chair in this ballroom. And you were like so friendly. You just exuded friendliness. I remember just having this really chill conversation with you. You were doing this amazing thing, having left the country for the first time. And here you were in Jordan and you were going to be studying the whole year with us. The journey that you've been on since that time has been amazing and inspiring. And that's why you're here. When I think about that first meeting and I think about everything since, Things have been very interesting. It's been a very interesting story. And I wonder if you can share with us a little bit about that. Definitely. I'm glad you remember that conversation is chill because I think that was probably the least chill week of my life. Just a fresh babe off the plane in this big grand hotel with students from everywhere and people from all over. So I was glad to meet you as like a leadership anchor and friend in the sea of where we were. But yes, I am Ben. I'm calling from Minneapolis. And when we met in 2013, I was studying abroad for the first time, studying Arabic seriously, and I was perceived as a white American woman. I'm a trans man and didn't realize that at the time, wasn't pursuing transition at the time. I was also queer, studying abroad in a country that I wasn't sure how they were going to accept pieces of my identity, whether that be my Americanness or my sexuality. And now, you know, it affords me a great opportunity to reflect on my experience and my gender as well and how that played into studying abroad. 
That must have been so challenging in so many ways. And as we were talking about before we sat down to record, so many pieces of your own story as it has played out were things that you were not necessarily aware of at the time. And I know from emailing back and forth with you to prepare for this, it seems like a lot of what you went through during that year gave you some perspective that ultimately put you on this path to, as you said, living your best life. Oh, totally. Studying abroad teaches you so many things, but getting out of your comfort zone can make you or made me reflect on who I am, where I fit. So first time out of the country, a white American in the Middle East in 2013, it was uh, the middle of a lot of uh, political unrest in the area. So for me, growing up in uh, Minnesota was the first time that I was also in a majority not white area which is not everybody's experience going into studying abroad. But for me, all of those things helped me grow as a person, helped me challenge the norms that I assumed. And part of that also happened to be my gender. I'm not saying that you study abroad and you come out trans, but you do come out learning a lot more (laughs) about yourself. So, right, I uh, didn't realize that my gender was something that I needed to explore to kind of find out my true self. But Being in Jordan was a radically different culture and not in the way that we hear about a lot in the news, but just the norms of society, uh, the way people move about in the world, the way gender roles and gender expression plays out was very different. So it kind of gave me a, a fresh perspective to compare myself to, to explore what parts I enjoyed, what parts I didn't enjoy. In Jordan, there's a pretty significant gender division along binary lines, meaning women mostly gather together and men mostly gather together and they have their own separate spaces. And that isn't or hasn't been the case in America that I grew up in. So being in that space and being starkly separated in women-only spaces was a learning experience for me. It helped me reflect on how I felt being specifically identified as a woman um, that didn't feel good. And that was something that I needed to study abroad in order to figure out. I needed to get myself into a different perspective, into a new context in order to be able to really see myself clearly. That's such a tough concept to wrap your head around, but I'm wondering if you could expand on that a little bit in terms of sort of exploring your gender at the time as a woman. And you mentioned that it didn't feel good. I'm wondering, was there any sort of event or any sort of conversations you were having that really triggered that very conscious, whoa, this is something I need to explore? I think there weren't any specific moments that led to me being like, oh, I'm not a woman, but a gradual noticing of what's going on around me and a a gradual noticing of what's going on inside that helped me align where I wanted to be and how I wanted to be perceived in society. And something else I want to preface before getting into talking about some specifics of Jordan is that I very strongly believe that while both Jordan and America are patriarchal countries, um, there's not one form of patriarchy that's better than the other. You know, there's not one that's more or less oppressive. There's not one that respects women more and one that doesn't respect women as much. They're all bad. I'm just going to be honest. (laughs) They're bad in different ways in so much as you get used to kind of like a frog in boiling water. You get used to what's around you. So the patriarchy and the way that takes form in America, we're all used to. And so the way the patriarchy takes shape in Jordan looks different. But I want to make sure that I'm clear that that doesn't mean it's better or worse. They're all bad. So we can all improve. For sure, another manifestation of patriarchy, and they're all bad. 
I wanted to answer the question about any specific moments or things that help me analyze my gender in context was there are little societal things. For example, women and men on the bus. I took public transit uh, back and forth to university most of the time. Women and men on the bus are starkly separated into front of the bus and back of the bus unless crowding. For the most part, things are pretty starkly separated that way. And Mm -hmm. as someone perceived as a woman, that was helpful for me to realize the ways that I wasn't comfortable in women-only spaces in the rest Mm -hmm. of my life. Another example is men who I was studying abroad with, male friends of mine, had much more genuine, deeper social interactions with taxi drivers and waiters and other men that they would run into in a more service capacity. And those were things that I missed out on. So more than figuring out how I felt, I think it opened my eyes to the different ways that gender roles can take shape in society and that there's not one way that gender plays out. There are a million different ways that gender plays out around the world and I can control and do what feels best for me. And it's interesting that you say that because I think very often, even when students are really prepared for this gender separation in a very binary, heteronormative sort of way, which is what you're confronted with when you go to Mm -hmm. a place like Jordan and so many other places, I think very often students have this idea going in like, well, this means I'm going to make these really strong friendships with women. And that's not always the case. It can be infrequently the case just because of the way women move through space and the way women move through their families and there's inside the family and there's outside the family and people's movements through space are very controlled. Like women very often have curfews. Women hang out very often in women-only company, but as a foreigner, it can be very daunting to break into those spaces, even if your language skills are good. Definitely. I think that the women that I was friends with had that very same experience and that it was host families and people that you had more personal relationships with that were able to make those deep connections. But a general social connection in your day-to-day life for a lot of the women that, that I knew as peers wasn't very common. Right. There's no casual relationship. It's either all in or all out. And I think very often for women students, you can get close to your host family. You can have some very close friends, but in your day-to-day, those relationships with your acquaintances, you're never going to have that great moment with the taxi driver. And you're very rarely going to have that with another woman who's just an acquaintance. Right. Which, to be honest, how often does that happen in daily life in America? So same rules apply of everybody's just trying to get their grocery shopping done. So I think that is something to remember for study abroad students is that all the people you're talking to, this is just their normal life. This is not a special day for them, or if it is a special day, it's not about you. Absolutely. You said that when you first arrived in Jordan that you did identify as queer. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit, I mean, without obviously putting anyone at risk, there is a queer community in Jordan, a very wonderful queer community. And I'm wondering if you could touch on that a little bit and your experiences meeting people through that community and, you know, if being connected to that community was helpful and how that may have impacted sort of these broader questions you were asking about yourself and getting to know yourself better. A hundred percent. The exception by and large to making lasting, deep, 
connections were the queer people that I met in Jordan, both other queer students who were studying abroad in the program, as well as uh, queer Jordanians who lived there and, and we became fast friends. So one of the greatest treasures that I learned studying abroad was that LGBT people find each other everywhere, that we are everywhere, that we're community everywhere. Making queer friends around the world starts your friendship off on a very comfortable level that naturally leads to intimacy and adventures and getting to know each other much quicker. And it's an established trust going into a friendship. So I made a lot of great friends in Jordan who were mostly gay men and some gay and bisexual women, both Americans studying abroad, Jordanians. And those friendships were the people that I hung out with on the weekends and went on vacations over breaks and am still friends with on social media today. And they were the people, particularly there were a couple of gay men who really were able to give me insight into the queer culture in Jordan from their perspective and welcomed me and the rest of us American students in. We would go out to gay bars. There are gay bars in Jordan. There were relationships aplenty, um, none of my own. I did try online dating for a minute in Jordan. That was a little rough, but <laughs> they were absolutely great friendships. And I, I really learned a lot from the queer people that I met while I was there. What stood out to you about the experience of queer people in Jordan based on what they shared with you and this community that you found and this glimpse of life that you got that, quite frankly, wasn't there for a lot of other students? You really got a unique perspective. That's super true. I feel very lucky for it. I was a bit surprised to find other queer people in Jordan, maybe not so much students, from America, I just hadn't considered it. But I had stayed with a host family my first semester and fully prepared to go back in the closet, which was difficult for me. I also experienced a breakup right when I got to Jordan. And so I was like grieving this, you know, loss of relationship with a woman that I couldn't tell my host family about. I remember trying to explain it a little bit like, oh, my uh, boyfriend, totally. We just broke up. And they're like, oh, no. I had prepared to not be able to come out. And to be fair, I didn't give him the chance either. I didn't come out to my host family to explore that dimension of our relationship together. But a couple of things that I was grateful to learn and to see from my Jordanian friends was that there's dimension to the queer community in Jordan as well. There are parts of town that are maybe more traditional and parts of town that are more westernized. And the parts of towns that are are more westernized can actually be, by their words, far more dangerous because it turns out as a part of importing Western ideals, places like that have also imported homophobia. So those are the parts of towns that my friends had to be more careful, had to rely on their connections to make sure that they were in a safer place. And they were also more likely to experience homophobic violence or backlash, whereas the more traditional parts of town, uh, things were more accepted because shockingly, gender, sexuality, uh, diversity have existed since the dawn of time. So it's not that LGBT identities were new to any parts of town. It's how society is conditioned to react to them. And so the more traditional parts of town, it was maybe a way of life that people didn't talk about. But the westernized parts of town also brought in Western homophobia. Um, So in those spaces, for example, dating apps, my Jordanian queer friends had to be really careful not to get doxxed and that their information would be publicly shared, their personal information about their name and where they lived, their picture. Um, They had to be careful not to share too much online in case someone would attempt to hurt them through their online identity. 
you know, I remember from our many discussions at the time, and also I know from this little bit we've been talking, you know, uh, emailing back and forth, that not only did you really start rethinking yourself and your identity during this time, but also your experience there for an entire academic year may have had some pretty profound impact on your thinking about your future and what you wanted to do. You know, I mean, you have to come back to the region over and over. The language commitment requires you to go back over and over. The regional specialization requires you to go back over and over. And I'm wondering if you could touch on that a little bit as you're holistically, you really undertook a lot of introspection. That's true. It was Middle Eastern history and Arabic language, specifically Palestinian history, was a huge and is a huge passion of mine. And I had a lot of uh, maybe textbook knowledge coming in. And boy, did I learn a thing or two that really changed my perspective on both the language and Middle Eastern history, but also what it's like to be an outsider. I have a pretty privileged background and just about all the ways that really count. And getting that firsthand experience as an outsider was important. One of the ways that I was an outsider was in terms of my sexuality, and particularly after I came to realize the seriousness of undertaking transition, needing to come out as a trans man, and not being able to experience, I mean, I didn't experience Jordan as a man. I still to this day don't know what that's like, but while I was in Jordan, I was most of the time in the closet. I had some great friends, and I still am not sure how I would be able to live my authentic life as my true self, and not just as a man, but having the specific perspective of a trans man openly in Jordan. Um, It's not to say that I couldn't, it's just that I don't know. And that unknown is scary to me. So I decided not to continue pursuing the language. I still love keeping up with the history and, and the politics, but in terms of the language, I didn't keep up because I didn't know how I would be able to go back. So working in the region, living in the region, I wasn't sure how I would fit, and so I let that unknown change the course of my life and stopped with the language. Of course, I could pick it up again, and I remember more than I probably realized, but I was I really felt pretty proud of myself and my language abilities when I left, and that has been a, a distinct choice to let that part of my life pass because I wasn't sure how I could live in the Middle East. Of course, there are trans people living there right now having fantastic lives. It's just an unknown for me. And being able to be out in a cultural context that I knew, at the very least for this time period, where I'm still pretty early in my transition, I think kind of settled into a a place where I'm comfortable with myself and my surroundings. But in order to push to that next level of putting myself out of my comfort zone, I need just a little bit more time. And so that was part of my decision to not go back to the Middle East for the time being. So I miss it every day. You were so committed, you know, and you still are. I'm sure someday, Ben, you're going to want to go back, you know, for a visit to explore more places. Do you think about that? And what do you think that's going to be like? I definitely do. I think some of my experiences here may apply in that people perceive me as a man now. I look, dress, talk, walk like a man. And so that's how people treat me. And that would be my experience there as well. In some ways, it would be a whole new experience. The places, the people, the language are the same, but my context within it is different. And so I think that would be really exciting for me to go back and to go through some of this newness all over again that I felt the very first time I was there, have access to new spaces, be put out in my comfort zone in different ways, find new community among groups of men. I think that it would be a really valuable and fantastic experience. And I certainly do hope I can get back there someday. 
specifically the, there's a cafe that has the best breakfast in Amman, and I miss it yes. so much, so much. I must go back. <laughs> you've just made me hungry, and you've made me miss it as well. I'm imagining that many years down the road when you feel comfortable and you are able to make that experience happen, it'll be fascinating to take this subject up again to hear your perspectives. When you do this experience as an undergraduate, we know the science is there that our brains are on overdrive. We're still becoming the grown human works in progress that we're going to become, but our brains are doing all sorts of crazy things. So in addition to this incredible self-exploration and this transition that you've been through, someday I hope I have the chance to hear older, wiser you with many years perspective on both your transition and your time studying abroad in the Arab world. Comparatively speaking, what that's going to be like, just thinking about that is so intellectually exciting, I guess. Definitely. You've got me all ready to jump back on a plane. And how that's one of the most valuable things about studying abroad in general. How often do we get to be totally and completely new and bewildered and a sponge of everything that's going on around us? How often do we get to be new at something? How often do we get to be bad at something? And studying abroad, the very first couple of months you get there, somebody there explained it to me like, and I experienced it. It's like you're a baby. You're just absorbing information. You're just listening. You're watching. You're not saying a whole lot until you can kind of get your feet under you a couple months in. Anybody who asks, I recommend, go to a place where the language is not your first language. Go to a place where their methods of transportation are different, their politics are different. Go somewhere out of your comfort zone because that experience of being new, you only get when you're a child otherwise. It's more than just, you know, the newness of being at college. It's more than being in a language class that very first day and, and you don't know what your teacher is saying and your whole day, every day for months. And I fully recommend people go for a year if they're able. It's about that three, four month mark where you, you can really get your feet under you and start to make connections and participate and not only be able to ask questions, but be able to understand what people are saying back to you, which is the biggest deal. Like I knew how to ask for the bathroom or knew how to ask what was going on in the news. But if somebody said something back to me that wasn't in my strict vocabulary while I was back to square zero, but once you get more months under your belt, under your skin, participating, thriving, struggling in a new place, that's when the growing really begins. So I highly recommend it. If you had the chance for queer students, Mm -hmm. What do you wish you could tell them? What would you want them to know? And what would you want the people who support them, whether it's support staff on site or people at their universities who are advising them, what would you want them to know? I think queer students are particularly well-prepared to study abroad because of navigating personal struggle, reevaluating who we see ourselves to be and who the people around us see us as, and how to reintroduce ourselves to a new culture, whether that be being new to the queer culture or reintroduce yourselves into your family or into a school environment as a new person. That experience of coming out and figuring out your identity is specifically well-prepared as LGBT students to study abroad. So I think that they may be able to transition better into the program, into the country, and back home than some students with less self-reflection, less self-awareness would be able to. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. 
to the students, I would say find your fam. You know, we are everywhere in every way, whether it's the students you're with, potentially even faculty and staff and other LGBT people in the place that you choose to study abroad. Find them. They are your support. They are your confidants that it's a trusted place. And likewise, be on the lookout for other people who could use your support. You know, that I think is one of the wonderful things about queer community is that we have each other's back and you have to be an active role in that as well. So be on the lookout for places to connect and places to support and that you are not the first LGBT person to be in that city, to be in that country. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands and you know, depending on the size of your program in your city, there are people sitting right next to you who would love to connect with you. And I think sharing your experience and sharing as much as you can, even if it's just in a journal or with somebody back home, how you're doing specifically in relation to your sexuality or your gender, that's really important because that's a huge part of, of how we process and how we absorb the world. So if you're able to share that with people, that's extremely valuable and important. You don't have to diminish that part of your experience because it's perceived to be less common or um, less important or out of the norm. It's your norm. It's going to be an important part of your story going forward, an important part of your experience. To people supporting LGBT students, a lot of maybe traditional advice is to go back in the closet. But when prospective queer students hear that, they hear, oh, I'm not welcome because there is no going back. You can't go back. You can selectively share. You can create uh, communities that are closed and communities that are permeable, but um, there, there's no going back. So the better way to welcome students would be to create some spaces for students and a guarantee in most countries that you're going to go to, there's going to be an LGBT organization, uh, an advocacy organization uh, of some kind. Connect, you know, connect them to the students, reach out to them, see if they would be at all interested in talking to your study abroad students. I would see if there's a way to foster community. You know, of course, you don't want to be like all the LGBT kids to the cafeteria. Uh, but <laughs> if you're an advisor or someone in country, if there's a way to highlight uh, local resources, local gathering places, restaurants that are known to be friendly, literature written by people of a variety of queer identities who are either from or have lived in that place, that's huge. If you are a, maybe a language teacher explaining or teaching some of the vocabulary surrounding gender and sexuality in that specific language um, and some of the culture. For example, American students, we are used to a gender binary and many others. But there are so many cultures around the world where that is not their historical norm. Bring that into your classroom. Include that in your history. Include the, the history of LGBT people of that country as a meaningful part of your work because it will mean the world to someone in your classroom. And people at home uh, supporting people abroad, check in with them. Just make sure that they know if they're feeling a little unsure or a little unsafe, that they're loved, they're welcomed, and they should reach out. I wanted to add one other uh, piece of advice to queer students. One other thing I would recommend is to research what therapy options you might have. In particular, I might look into resources available by internet. I know there's a lot of Skype, texting, email-based 
therapy programs now, I might look into before you leave setting that up or seeing what resources are available in the country you're going to. Just because people in the queer community can experience mental health issues at a higher rate, there's more anxiety, more stress, more depression. So making sure you have a good care plan before you go, um, because you know, studying abroad can be one of the most stressful things that you've done in your adult life. And so you want to make sure you have that before you go to make sure that you have a place to reach out specifically if you're having trouble managing your mental health. That's so important. Also, reach out to your providers. If you're going on a provider-based program, we work very hard to cultivate mental health support resources in the community. Just as a final point, I think very often when you're studying abroad, you have so much coming at you all the time. And as educators, it's a best practice to facilitate reflection for students. But I think we do it in a very checkbox way, you know, that like you must reflect right now as a student. You've got so much coming at you, all these things you just described in this context. And for queer students, for students of color, that experience of being abroad is so heightened because of all these other intersectional things going on. And I often think so much of the best reflection can only come later because you've got to be in the now and you've got to make it work in the now. You need that time and that distance and that growth and that perspective. Definitely. I 100% agree. A lot of the things that I saw and felt and was excited about and frustrated about at the time only kind of clicks when you come home and can start to share that narrative with other people. Well, Ben, I can't, again, thank you enough. I am absolutely inspired by you. I know I've told you that and you chuckled. (laughs) It's so true. And thank you from the bottom of my heart and for spending this time with me and with everyone who is going to hear this because it, it matters. It matters so much. I can't thank you enough. Thank you, Elena, and I fully agree. It's been an honor to reconnect, and if there's one takeaway, it's that queer stories matter. Thank you for listening to this episode of Studying Abroad in the Global South. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals speaking and do not reflect or represent the views or opinions of Amid East or any of its affiliates. Please visit our website at amideastedabroad.org and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time for something clever, snarky, and or hopefully useful.